Welcome to another edition of the 360 Preps podcast. Uh, we said we'd try to do this every week, and we're three for three right now. So welcome to week three as we delve into the fall season of high school sports in southwest Washington. I am sports editor Micah Rice here at the Columbian. Today I'm joined by uh, assistant sports editor and high school sports coordinator Tim Martinez and reporter Andy Bueller. Greetings. Uh, Yes. <laughs> Hello. We have we have plenty to talk about, so uh, let's let's get right into it. Uh, one thing we're trying to do with uh, our coverage of the football season and how it, it comes across in these podcasts is uh, before we get into the week that's coming up, we take a quick look at the week that has uh, that was, and we each kind of give an observation about last week what surprised us the most. Well. This week, there were plenty of impressive performances by Clark County teams, so we're going to look back at the one thing that impressed us the most in week two of high school football in Clark County. And I was out at Kiggins last Friday for uh, Heritage versus Hudson's Bay. Very dramatic game. Uh, lots of ups and downs, ebbs and flows. Heritage won 38-28. to uh, it looked like it was going to be easy. Uh, the Timberwolves led 23-0 early in the second quarter. Then Bay comes storming back, pulling within three points uh, in the third quarter at uh, 31-28. And Heritage was on the ropes, and then their, their uh, starting quarterback, uh, Nikki Scott, goes down with a knee injury. In comes Skylar Scoggins, a backup quarterback, and you know what they say about backup quarterbacks. Your number one uh, line in the job description is you have to be ready at a moment's notice. Even if you might not play the entire game, you have to be prepared that the very next play you could be in. Well, Heritage uh, you know, needed to do something to stop uh, Hudson's Bay's momentum. Uh, Scoggins comes through on, on fourth and 19 with a 26-yard a pass to uh, Jordan Oliveras. That set up a, uh, that, that brought uh, Heritage within the five-yard line, set up a touchdown run by Scoggins, um, gave Heritage a little bit of a cushion. Uh, it, uh, uh, it, then the Timberwolves defense came up, stopped uh, Hudson's Bay on the next drive in the fourth quarter and allowed uh, the Timberwolves on the next drive, thanks in part to some plays by Scoggins, to uh, salt off that game. So not just the ability, uh, what impressed me the most was not just the ability of the backup quarterback to come in and make plays when called upon, but also I gotta give a shout out to Hudson's Bay in that game. They, uh, they could have folded up the tents down 23 to nothing early in the second quarter. Well, um, uh, Parker Marsh, the senior starting quarterback who uh, was playing his first game of the year after missing the opener with an ankle injury, he really started to find some rhythm. Uh, the, the running game for the Eagles behind 215-pound uh, fullback Akilatoa Kaumatule really started to give uh, uh, Hudson's Bay some control over the tempo of the game. And so even though Hudson's Bay is 0-2, I think they're a team that can make some uh, noise in the 3A Greater St. Helens League, and one that uh, if they can play their physical style of, of offense uh, can, can be really tough to deal with. Um, so that's what impressed me the most uh, from what I saw in week two. Um, Andy, what impressed you the most? I would say, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a one A and a one B. Okay. Very quickly, um, I, Skyview was really sharp. Um, they 
thrashed River. It would it would have been thirty four to zero had uh, had Skyview student section not gotten a little too excited in the final seconds and put River at the fifteen. Not to discredit Dawson Lawrence's great pass as time expired, but uh, Skyview just you know from the opening kick, which was a return for touchdown by Mason Wheeler, looked really sharp. Uh, Yaro Devalco um, was incredibly. Um, Poised, showed, um, you know, a really good arm. He's got great size. Micah, before we started recording, we were just talking about him. Um, and they, I spent the Thursday before that game at, at Columbia Rivers practice. Um, they have a senior heavy team that Christian head coach Christian Swain said is his, he thinks is one of his best defenses he's ever coached. Um, and that's saying something for a coach who, you know, went to six, playoffs in in Oregon um, with Roosevelt and uh, that defense just was like no match for Skyview they they couldn't stop them and they couldn't get much going on offense either so very impressed by the storm that's my 1A I was at that game so I was able to see that my 1B is a team that I haven't covered uh, at all this year or last year Um, I did not go out to their practice when we were corralling preseason notes but that's Prairie uh, Prairie's out to a 2-0 start after a 28-21 win over Washougal last weekend, and uh, they're under you know first-year head coach Mike Peck. Um, Prairie finished like three and six on the season last last year, and um, had a tough uh, a tough go. And you know I didn't really honestly think much of them coming into the season, and they've been really impressive. They shut out Park Rose, and that was. Uh, you know, a big win in week one, I'm sure momentous under a new coach. And uh, But, you know, I feel like last week to, to win at Washougal. Um, a very good Washougal team that's sure. coming off a, a, a very physical win over Hudson's Bay. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt like that's that's a, a statement from Prairie early in the season. Um, and, you know, just piecing together some of the top highlights from last week. Um the uh, uh, Prairie Falcons were well represented across across the uh, the gamut there with Zeke Dixon's crazy one-handed catch, um, and then you know AJ Dixon had a long run. Um, obviously, just looking at the stats, like Nolan Mickenham's an incredible athlete and someone who's going to be huge for them all season. Well, very tough to match up against. He's what about six foot two and a district uh, 100 meter and 200 meter sprint champion, I believe. So it, it, that speed and size is going to give a lot of people some problems. Yeah, absolutely. So one A Skyview, really impressed, uh, and one B Prairie. Shout out to the Falcons. All right. All right. So I was at the Prairie game last week. I did see the Falcons play. I think the most, the, the biggest thing that they showed me um, was not just the win, but the fact that uh, they, they gave up some big plays to Washougal to fall behind 21-7 in the first half. Uh, there was a, an interception return uh, by uh, Brevin B. And then uh, the next possession, they had a 67, 68-yard pass to Jacob Davis. And they were up 27. So they were in the hole, which was different from week one when they played Park Rose, which is typically a program that's, that's struggled, and so it was a 33 nothing win. It was a fairly, uh, you know, favorable week one matchup for Prairie. So to come back against a good team and, um, uh, you know, keep them off the scoreboard, I think uh, Washougal's first drive of the second half, they got down into the red zone and had a fourth down and decided not to go for a field goal but to pass, and it was Mickenham who uh, picked it off in the end zone. Uh, for a touchback, and then that set up the uh, 
the drive with the one-handed catch and eventually making hands touchdown to put them ahead, 28-21, uh, and then they, they held on to them. So they, they showed that uh, they've got weapons on offense, but they also showed that they can play some defense. And and so it's uh, you know it was a it's a good good sign for for the Falcons. They get a they get a little bit tougher another tough test with Black Hills coming up on Friday. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they sort of develop as the season goes along. So the team that I think most impressed with is a team that I did see play, but I saw them play on television. Um, did hopefully most of the state. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that was Hawkinson. You know, it's like you never, from one season to the next, you never quite know, you know, how teams are going to uh, come back into the season, new players stepping in and, and whatnot. And so uh, we, we thought Hawkinson was going to be pretty good. We thought they're, you know, probably a league favorite. Um, I know that there were a lot of teams in the league coming in the, in the preseason that were talking about, you know, they're, they're got Hawkinson marked on their schedules. Um, but last week against Archbishop Murphy, they just looked really, really good. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, was it 45 to 13 or something along those lines. And it could have gotten, you know, even a bigger win for the Hawks. You know, it had some things bounce their way in the second half a little bit better. So, uh, so they were very, very, very impressive, and I think uh, they're going to move into league play this week. They're going to play RA Long, um, but then there's a couple of games further down the road that uh, will be interesting. But it really looks like the Hawks are again the class of the two A GSHL. Well, and what impressed me the most about that game was, sure, uh, you can argue that Archbishop Murphy is a little bit down by their standards. They're not the team that uh, was so scary a few years ago that, that small schools were forfeiting instead of playing them. They're, 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 but they're still a very good team. But regardless of the standard of how Archbishop Murphy looked, Hawkinson at times in that game was making plays that were, you know, you would expect from a state championship caliber team. You had you know, Levi Crum, the quarterback, who was one of the big question marks coming into the season, he had a couple of throws on the run that just were really impressive, you know, rolling out in full stride and still putting the ball right where it needed to be for his big targets, Peyton Brammer and Sawyer Racanelli. And then he had a, a, a touchdown pass, I believe, in the second quarter where he was about a 20-yarder. He hung in. Uh, let the ball fly just right as a, a blitzing linebacker was about to level him and still put the ball right on the money to uh, on a sideline route that, that went for a touchdown. So uh, I, I think the way Hawkinson looked against not just a quality opponent, but just if you take the opponent out of it, just some of the plays they were making uh, it's true what Sawyer Racanelli said after the game that I, I think the the road to the state title has to go through Hawkinson right now. They they just appear to be the the cream of the crop. But as uh, as as we were just talking about before this podcast, uh, the state rankings came out, and evidently there's a, there's a mole somewhere in the, among the state voters that shame. The, the, yeah. the, 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 there's a, the, there's a, a you know pretty much a, a near unanimous consensus that uh, Hawkinson is the best in two A, but. Uh, they're still ranked number two, and I'll let Tim explain more what's going on there. Yeah, it, you know, um, you know, we always joke about these state rankings because, especially early in the season, it's a little bit, it, you know, it's a little bit of a crapshoot about because you haven't seen a lot of the teams around the state and stuff. But it, the the interesting part about this week's 
this week's rankings isn't so much that Hawkinson is still ranked number two behind Tumwater. It's the manner in which they are ranked number two behind Tumwater. Um, eight people voted in the AP uh, state rankings, and or ten, 10 people voted. Eight voted for Hawkinson at number one, and two voted for Tumwater at number one, and yet Tumwater is number one with 91 points, and Hawkinson is number two with 89 points. And so the only way that Hawkinson can end up with 89 points while receiving eight first place votes is that they only received nine points from the other two people who are who cast ballots. And now we should clarify, the people that cast ballots in the AP poll are journalists like us, people who yeah. are supposed to be informed about what's from, going on. From around the state. Yeah. And so the only way that you can get nine points um, from two ballots being cast is if somebody had them ranked, I think it's something like six, and then somebody else ranked them seventh, or five and eight, or four and nine, or three and ten, or what we think is most likely is that somebody ranked them number two behind Tumwater, and somebody didn't have them on the ballot at all, which is sort of mind-boggling. <laughs> inconceivable in that, you know, a lot of times when you vote on these things, it's, it's almost unthinkable that a team that won the state championship the previous year and is now 2-0 and would not be one of the teams that you would be looking to put on your ballot. So it's almost like if somebody just sort of like went, oops, I forgot to include Hawkinson, it's like, well, what are you looking at then? Because how are you not looking at the defending state champion who just uh, thoroughly defeated the number three team in the state from last week? In a game that in a game in that the was the state of Washington could have seen. That was on TV. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like either someone really let the marbles fall off the table or there's some deep-seated resentment out there someplace. Which is funny because I've heard, obviously, I think if you look at a, a program like, say, oh, I'm just going to throw out Bellevue, which has had some clouds over it, maybe you could see the human element to the poll coming in where someone would say, I'm not voting for that team on principle, but there's been no issues around Hawkinson like that. They. You know, they've, they've won other games fair and square. They've uh, ascended to an elite uh, level statewide fair and square. So for one person to possibly say, I'm not putting them on the ballot at all, is uh, it just really kind of inconceivable, I think. It was funny to see just before we started recording, as Tim, you were tweeting out about it, and, you know, one by one, like, journalists from around the state were saying, like, not, not me, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not me. So, yes. It's like, who's the ball? Like, right, yeah, so, yeah. Exactly. so we've heard from Lauren Smith from the from Tacoma, we've heard from Matthew Bade from Centralia, we've heard from Matt, Michael Carmen from the Peninsula Daily News, uh, Nathan Joyce from Seattle Times, we've heard from Josh Hart from Longview, they all said, Oh, I all had I had Hawkinson one, Tumwater two, so the email that goes out every week to remind people to vote goes out to like about thirteen people, and so only ten of those thirteen voted, and one of those ten didn't have, we're thinking didn't have Hawkinson on the ballot. So, uh, and and the thing about it, and the thing about it just being an, an omission, last week's ballot was a little bit odd as well. Last week, I think Hawkinson was. Um, was number two despite receiving six first place votes. And I think Tumwater had like three or something like that. And there was like a 10 point difference between the two. And so it was a little bit odd to see, you know, Hawkinson rank where they were uh, and be so far behind in points. So it's almost like whoever left them off this week left them off last week as well. 
Well, I, the fact that we're talking about it, I think, pins down the biggest uh, purpose of these polls is that it drums up interest and get pe gets people talking because thankfully, perhaps, uh, these polls will have no bearing on, on playoff seeding when it, it comes down to it because there's still league uh, titles to be won and playoff seeding committee members, which are not the voters of the AP poll. Uh, those are the ones you need to impress. Yes. Well, except for one. One. L yeah. Lauren is on one of the, those committees. Um, I think she might be the only uh, active media member. Um, it, I think if you, if you count you know, traditional journalists, uh, I think you could call Ryland, would you call Ryland Spencer? Uh, maybe? Well, I, I was talking about somebody who worked for a, a publication who right. was actively working for okay. uh, as, a, as a staff. On one of the publications, she's the, she's the only one who uh, offered to to work on those committees. I mean, we we talked about it, but we kind of felt it felt a little odd for us as far as in, in the conflict of interest to 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 do that. And also, we kind of felt as if, you know, a lot of times, even when you're voting on some of these things, you feel a little weird because you know, well, most of these teams you've never seen, you haven't seen play. Even at the end of the season, you still haven't seen them play, and so it's kind of hard to to make an assessment. Like that, when you're just kind of focusing on your little specific area, so yeah, I would rather be a, a neutral observer and not have what we do play a, a consequential role in whether a team makes the playoffs or not. We're we're, we're just here for your entertainment and enjoyment <laughs> about where they're seated in yes. the playoffs. Yeah. They're still deciding who gets in by playing their way in. But um, yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't want to get a call from one of our coaches going. What happened in that 3A seating meeting or something? And then I wouldn't want to be the one to answer that. Right, right. <laughs> well, we, you know, it was uh, definitely a, an interesting week two, and now we move on to week three, where, uh, uh, as uh, as Tim alluded to, uh, the, the 2A Greater St. Helens League begins its league schedule. And so... Um, uh, Andy, you're gonna you're gonna take in a, a two A Greater St. Helens League game, I believe this uh, this uh, week. I am, yeah. I'll be out at uh, Washougal. We'll be there for the second week in a row, um, taking in Washougal Woodland, which should be a really good game. Uh, Washougal, um, as you had mentioned earlier, Micah uh, has had a pretty strong start to the season. A couple, you know, hard fought games uh, that that went down to the wire um, both times. Uh, they sit there at one and one and. Uh, host a Woodland team that, I mean, holy smokes, Tyler Flanagan is has got the single biggest offensive footprint <laughs> in, in the county. Well, He's that's, a, you know, football obviously is an 11-man game. Uh, you know, it, it so much depends on the, the guys in the trenches. But if you're looking at a 1v1 matchup, uh, uh, Tyler Flanagan on Woodland and Brevin B on Washougal. I mean, th these are two difference makers that are, yeah, I, I'm really eager to hear how it looks with uh, Brevin B at linebacker and uh, defensive back, uh, depending on their set, trying to um, uh, contain uh, Tyler Flanagan uh, along with the rest of that uh, Panthers defense, trying to do the same there. Absolutely. So uh, Flanagan, uh, so far through two games, is uh, second in the county in, in rushing. He's got uh, 358 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, and then passing, I believe he's third. He's got 414 yards and six touchdowns. And so th this is a Woodland team that 
Um, has a high octane offense. They put up a lot of points, uh, but at the same time, they allow a lot of points. I mean, it, Kalama scored 40 points on them, and then LeCenter, a team that was shut out in week one, um, put up 20 points on, on Woodland. So uh, if Washugal um, is to hang around in this game, I, I'm expecting them to turn it into uh, a shootout because I, I don't see them slowing down a, a Woodland offense that um, – you know, is is grizzled. A lot of seniors in there, and, and a lot of playmakers. Well, and it's only week uh, one of the the league season, week three overall. But this is a game that could have some uh, some playoff implications when it gets around to it, because Woodland and Washougal are are two of those teams that uh, uh, could be right in the mix for two, three, four. Uh, you know, whichever seed, uh, you know, they, they end up with is going to, I think, come back a lot to who wins this game. Right. And, uh, you know, so last week, um, Washougal had some problems with a dual threat quarterback in A.J. Dixon Prairie, who had some big runs and had some big throws. So you could look at that two ways. You can say, oh, that might be a weakness for the Washougal defense. And another way you can look at it is like, well, they've just seen a player like that. So now maybe they could be better prepared for, for Flanagan and Woodland this week. So, um, you know, every week in, in the football season is about getting better every week. And so, uh, yeah, but like you said, for a week one matchup in league play, it's it could be a, a, a big one as far as determining playoff burst or seeding. So. I'll be out. Uh, I I, th I will be at uh, Kiggins covering Skyview, hosting Mount Sai. Uh, and what I'm looking forward to most, uh, like Andy and I were talking about, uh, uh, Skyview's offense is can the Storm keep up the torrid pace offensively that they've had in the first two weeks of the season? Though they lost their opener against Yelm, uh, uh, they still put up more than 40 points. And then uh, last week they, um, they they put up 34 against uh, Columbia River, as uh, as Andy mentioned Yaro DeValco is uh, is putting up some some good numbers what is he in the passing rankings this uh, he he leads the state in uh, or sorry the county with 614 yards passing with nine touchdowns yeah so he's he's off to a great start uh, in his first two games as Skyview's starting quarterback so I'll be really eager to see what Skyview does to to keep that momentum because as the, the, the 4A Greater St. Helens League will be the last of our local leagues to start because it's only a five-team league. But I think uh, uh, people thought Skyview, this would kind of be a rebuilding year, but I, I think the Storm are showing early in uh, in this uh, this non-league campaign that uh, they want to be still considered a playoff contender up there. Uh, hope, and maybe if they they feel like they can get into a shootout and hang with a team like Camus or a, a Union. Well, this will be a really big test for the Storm. I mean, they, they gave up a bunch of yards and points to 3A Yelm in week one. And then they played really, really good defense against Columbia River last week. This week with Mount Sai, uh, Mount Sai is ranked uh, tied at number two in the state in 4A with Union. Uh, they've got Cale Millen as their quarterback who is committed to Oregon even though his dad is former Husky Hugh Millen. So, um, yeah, uh, Millen and, uh, has the, about the same passing kind of stats that uh, DeValco has for Skyview, both about 600 yards, and I think Millen's got like about 10 touchdown passes so far in these first two weeks of the season. So a big test for uh, the Skyview defense to try to slow that down and for the offense to 
try to keep up. So he'll be uh, they'll get a good idea about where they are in the season this week. Well, that's a, the, the, the big point of these non-league games in week two, three, four is uh, learning about yourself and learning what you need to improve on and, and uh, rely on when uh, those league games come around. Now, uh, Tim, you're going out uh, to uh, remind me. where I'm going to the early game at McKenzie. Yeah. Right. That's East Lake versus Union. So um, we get to see Union, who had a wild game last week down the barrier, wild in many, many ways. Uh, because of fires down there, they had to go down along the coast. It took them about 17 hours to travel down to the Bay Area. They, they, uh, they get to their game to play, and um, there were no uh, officials at the game. And the reason for that was is because uh, this game was originally not on the schedule. Originally, uh, up until about middle way through the summer, Union thought they would be hosting Sunnyside from near Yakima in this Week 2 game. But then Sunnyside... Uh, either didn't agree with the schedule, but it, so that game didn't happen, so Union had to go find a week two opponent, and they were lucky enough to find El Cerrito down in the Bay Area with a vacancy in their schedule. So, so yes, when this game was added to the schedule, whoever assigned the officials for down there didn't assign officials for a game that was added to the schedule late, and so there was no officials to start, and then slowly but surely, officials started to get the calls, and they showed up, and they got the game started late, and then it ended up being a wild game back and forth with Darian Chase uh, returning a kickoff about 88 yards or so in the last 30 seconds to win it. So uh, uh, Union's had a couple of exciting games in week one and week two. They had to sort of uh, withstand a last-minute uh, charge by the Mountain View Thunder in week one, and they had this comeback win. So now they get East Lake. It's 2-0, another, um, another good matchup for them. It should be uh, a good game uh, in the early uh, game out of McKenzie. And this is obviously a Union team that has really high goals and the, and the talent to make those goals happen. Uh, are, are you going to be uh, looking to see kind of if they can keep that momentum having had such you, you know, two intense games early in the season? And, and, and it wasn't just the game that was, could be draining for Union. It's the travel and, and everything that they had to do to make uh, that game happen. But you could also look at a long road trip like that and see a team really come together. Over yeah, the absolutely. I think it's one of the reasons yeah. why coaches like to, to take those trips. I know like for basketball teams in the winter, they always take trips during the holidays, and that's one of the things they talk about is just going out and you know, getting to know each other and connect with each other. And so I think a lot more of that happens with football where they go to camps in the summer and, and uh, spring practices and whatnot. But it, you know, I think to just kind of have that the team bonding over the weekend and then also to come away with, with a big win too is also got to be a, a, a boost for them. So, um, interested to see how they come out and if they come out uh, hot on Friday and, and perform well. And if uh, that happens, it could uh, be because they've got they've got uh, I think Chihuahua the next week Gosh. in the Tri Cities, that which will be another great game. That might be the toughest non-league schedule of any team in the state if you look at it. That's four games against four quality opponents. That uh, you know, obviously. California, it's it's not exactly comparing apples to apples as far as being able to look at rankings and say, well, the, this is where they compare. But obviously, they were against, they were really well matched against El Cerrito, and then they have one of the you know better three A teams certainly in Southwest Washington, and then uh, two of the best better four A teams at least historically, and and with the the rankings uh, that also on their non league schedule, so. 
Well, it'll be a fun week, but uh, football isn't all that we cover here at the Columbian and, and 360 Preps. Uh, we got soccer, we got volleyball, we got cross country, swimming, tennis, all have been uh, on our radar lately. And, and uh, Andy, you saw uh, a pretty impressive uh, volleyball performance last night by the Ridgefield Sputters. Um, this is a team that's coming off a third place finish at the uh, Class 2A state tournament last year. Uh, uh, brings back Delaney Nickel, who is one of the better players in the area. Um, tell me what you, you think about how uh, the Sputter volleyball team looked last night. Yeah, they looked really, they looked really, really good. Um, and Woodland is a team who returns five all-leaguers, um, including the league, all-league all uh, player of the year and Elise Booker. So they're, you know, no, uh, no joker of an opponent. And, and that rivalry really runs deep. Um, you know, I talked to a a couple parents who also had, you know, in their day played volleyball for Ridgefield, and now we're watching kids um, play volleyball and saying like, "Oh yeah, this this rivalry stretches all the way back, you know, to to when I was playing." Um, but Ridgefield, uh, you know, they came into a Woodland, and they, you know, really did not let Woodland uh, stick around. They they looked really tall up front. Uh, the coach, um, it's Sabrina Dobbs said that uh, said that they're you know a little bit young got some some players that that they're still looking to groom but you know if there's um, you know any indication of how uh, of how they'll adjust uh, those those newcomers uh, last night was a strong one right I, I think they also they were young I saw them open the season last year against Camus and they were yet a number of freshmen out on the court so those players are back and so they certainly have a lot of returning experience and I think it was on display last night. Yeah, I think uh, volleyball-wise, you know, Southwest Washington has, has usually been pretty well represented at the statewide level, especially at the uh, the two-way uh, level. I mean, obviously, uh, Woodland was uh, two years ago, they were the state runner-up and coach Jeff Nesbitt's uh, uh, final uh, swan song there, uh, going out with second place. Finish and then uh, and then last year Ridgefield comes up and, and gets a trophy. Um, I would look for both of those teams to possibly make some noise at state when it comes around. Uh, I would look for La Center to uh, uh, be a contender to to place in, in the one A with uh, Laney Erickson uh, leading the charge there. And at three A you have Prairie coming off a uh, uh, you know getting a, a fifth place finish at. Uh, at the state tournament. While they have to replace uh, a two-time All-Region Player of the Year, Zoe McBride, I, th I think the Falcons are showing that uh, you know they, they could be a team to be reckoned with. Um, I, I think the 4A is still a mystery. Uh, Camus had to replace a lot. Um, Union had to replace a lot. I think Skyview is, is kind of on the upswing. Um, statewide, I'm, I'm just not sure how the teams down here stack up. Um, Last year, we, we didn't have any qualify uh, for, for the state tournament. So I'll be eager to see if any of these programs from down here make that leap and are able to uh, to get that uh, punch that ticket to this year at Yakima, not Kennewick, which uh, I know I'm very happy about because I didn't like the venue siting at, at uh, Kennewick. It, it was, um, uh, it, it was a, a very difficult venue, I think, for a lot of fans to get to. Um, being that it was pretty much all the way across the state, uh, the the matches would be.
very late in starting because there wasn't a, an auxiliary gym or court to to warm up on and so I'll, I'll be interested to, to see kind of how the, the the setting is at the Sun Dome in Yakima I think it could be exciting yeah I think it should be uh, it could be a good fall for volleyball in yeah. Southwest Washington absolutely all right well, thank you again for joining us uh, for another edition of uh, the 360 Preps podcast. We'll be back next week and have plenty more to talk about, and uh, we'll see you out at the stadium.